0: Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood, so little by little I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now.
1: Well, I think I'm going to just focus on making the work and... Just making it better, stop caring about the things I can't control like whether a job comes in or not or whether I'm contacting the right client or not and just focus on getting the work the best it can be.
0: Today artist and illustrator Gaya returns to the show. I wanted to check in and hear the story of the arc of his stylistic development and his personality development over the years from the first time we talked back in 2018 when he showed the cracks of discontent with the style of work he was producing film posters in right through to now and his spellbinding, psychedelic, mind-bending artwork going across all media. We're going to get deep into that on the show today and a hell of a lot more. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Ben Tal and this is the Creative Condition Podcast. How are you? I hope you're well. I hope things are good as we build up to Christmas. Or do we wind down into Christmas? That's the question. Every year, freelance for 15 years now, I've known both extremes. Last year was an absolute dead zone and it came off the back of a worrying quiet spell, which extended right through into February, maybe even March. It was tough. And this year has been a bit tough at times. It's been bumpy, it's volatile out there. There's so many factors contributing to a dicey market. And I know that a lot of us have felt that, you know, um, there's been a few lovely projects this year, but there's been a lot of concern for me personally as well, and it's part of the reason why I'm pushing forward so strongly with the creative condition model with the book. I'm going, I mean, I'm putting the nuts and bolts into place for a YouTube channel at the moment. Live show next year, interviewing Stefan Sagmeister at OFF Festival in Barcelona. And it's full steam ahead. You know, this has become my passion, this exploration of creativity. And it's not all out of choice. Most of it is because it's where my heart lies, as well as in my illustration work and my writing. But I've certainly been kicked down that path with a little more velocity than I would have liked. But that's often the way, isn't it? I think back to 2007, 2008, when I first took the plunge and that wasn't by choice. You know, I'd taken some time, I'd saved up some money and I'd quit my job to go full-time freelance for three months. That's what the money lasted me. And after that, it was all at the mercy of commissioning. Now I got a sprinkling of small commissions to get me off the ground, but it wasn't enough to avoid going back to work part time. And when the time came a few months after that, I lost both my one regular illustration client and the lady who'd been away on maternity leave came back to take her job back which meant that I had to go up from my temporary part-time position. So I lost both income streams that I relied on at the time. In one afternoon, I remember having an absolute freak out for about half an hour in the works van, only to become full-time freelance out of no choice in the matter. And I haven't looked back since. You know, that fear and that terror, I, you know, I scratched and I clawed and I got some initial clients, some better paying clients, more regular clients, and I haven't looked back since. There's been ups and downs, there's been terrifying periods, there's been golden periods, but I think sometimes we have to have a kick up the arse to do that. Anyway, that's my opening statement for today and um, you know, it's been bumpy. Um, you can hear the weather out there, it's just one of many factors. It's pounding down on my studio roof as we speak. Maybe it's ambience, maybe not, but I can't do much about it. <laughs> Which, you know, it's all variables. I'm going to be recording the audiobook soon for the creative condition and I also plan to uh, record finally an audiobook for champagne and wax crayons my first book but you can't do much about pounding rain on a studio roof can you so um you know I'm in the garden and that's just another thing I have to skip and dance and flip around and that's just the way it goes Anyway, big thank you to the founding sponsor of the show, illustrationx.com. You can find all of their wonderful illustrators and animators on their global portfolios now at illustrationx.com. Um, big year coming up. This will be the last guest episode of 2023 with the wonderful Muragaya coming back to the show for the third time. Next week, there will be a show, but it's going to be an autonomous ramble from me, a bit of a wrap up for the year. There might be an angle. There might not. I haven't got that far yet. We'll see. But I have gone back weekly, you might have noticed, and I hope that's a good thing. So for any of you regular listeners, it would really, really help me if you could leave a favorable, preferably, review on the channels that you used. I noticed I have coming up to 50 on iTunes now, on on Apple Podcasts, I should say. I have four on Spotify. I'm sure there's more than four listeners on Spotify. In fact, I know there are from the wrap-up thing they do. Please take the time, just a little, a little rating's enough. If you have the time write a kind sentence that'd be even better tell a friend and um above all else do subscribe to the show because that really helps me too you know i i don't do this for much in the way of monetary gain so it really does help to get the support of you guys so please do that um updates on the book like i said last week the kickstarter is now wrapped that's going to be going out to people back end of february provided it all goes smoothly with the printing we are on the final proof read I've got to do a bit more of that later today and then it's on the times the typesetting which is it's already drafted but now um, my designer is gonna get lumbered with you know a proof read and a lot of edits from you know badly placed commas and stuff that should have been semicolons and that's that's what we're into now we're into the nitty gritty and then we're off the press and then it's 2024 and this is a big book coming out i'm really excited there's so much going on get in touch if you can help somewhere i'd love to do more podcast interviews myself i'd love to do more live performances i'd love to go out and do lectures at universities at colleges so industry events get in touch If you're going to OFF Festival 2024, get in touch, let me know, say hello, let's have a coffee, let's have a pint, come and see my conversation live on stage on the Friday 5th of April with Stefan Sagmeister, returning to the show for the second time. Very excited, slightly daunted about that. Um, I hope you enjoyed the last show with Christine Pizzo from Design It I loved that conversation, it was very deep it was very broad, about design on a big scale and about problem solving on a global scale and design leadership Um, I loved Christine's style I hope you enjoyed that one that was episode 205 we've got loads of stuff coming up next year i have got Judica, Alex Pask who fought at GB level, um, won medals on the international stage in judo. We're talking floor states in fight sports and the crossovers, with flow states in creativity. It's a really, really powerful show. It's a good one. We've got Tom Hodgkinson, founder and editor of Idler magazine. Some of you may remember my conversation with Dan Kieran, uh, who was the assistant editor under Tom of Idler. And he's gone back to being a writer, now stepped away from his work at Unbound. That was a cracker too. Um, so go back and listen to anything that you might have missed this year. It's been a busy year of podcasts and developing things moving forward. But today's guest, Maragaya, is one of a kind. So there's something I want to address in uh, what Muragaya says at the start of the show. He's very kind of, um, what's the term? He's very modest in that he listens back to our previous conversations, which I I think you should do if you haven't already done that, go back to episode one or two, you'll find us talking in 2018, back when Sham was very much finding his feet. There were suggestions of what his work would evolve to become in his portfolio back then, there were some cracking film posters, but he felt even then that it was kind of fan art-ish and he was servicing something that wasn't exactly in tune with his personality. And I had him back on the show for a very brief snapshot of Cabin Cast 5, which was during the pandemic. I did a series of short check-ins with people, you know, how they were faring with the lockdowns and Sham being one of those. Um, but now, this is the big return. So there's been a six-year journey now between what was happening in 2018 and his amazing work now which I am such a fanboy of and I hope you enjoy it I think it's a really useful one we talk very candidly about our fears our hopes our shortcomings how there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and what I wanted to address is that Sham says of himself that he was talking utter bollocks (laughs) on those previous episodes and I disagree you know I've had time to reflect on that and I know what he's getting at You know, when I listen back to my younger self in interviews, there's been a lot of learning and a journey and and a maturing that's gone on, but it's still the truth. Because with creativity, we only have what's right here in this moment and that's a sum of everything we've experienced so far. So I think he was absolutely right in everything that he was saying, but I understand also what he's getting at in that he's learned a lot since and things have evolved but it's not bollocks i can tell you that for a start it's a really interesting snapshot of the time and where he was at and where he is now so that's why i think it's a good idea to go back and listen to those episodes so one or two for the first one cabin cast 5 is worth a listen but between 1 or 2 and now 2 or 6 that's the real stuff and i hope you get a lot from this we cover a wide range of things including illustration agents going into physical Three dimensional work, digital stuff, we're talking tech, we're talking being overwhelmed by social media. Um, there's a lot. You know, uh, agents, we're talking agents representation, we're talking collaboration. How do you approach getting new work and where does the confidence come from? You know, there's a lot here that I think you guys are going to relate to. So I hope you enjoy it. There's going to be one more episode this side of Christmas, which is going to be a slight ramble from me. We will get to that in due course. Keep an eye on the social channels. Um, like I said, give us a little review and a subscription, please, if you can. That was really helpful. But thank you for now, guys, and I hope you enjoyed my chat with Maragaya. I mean,
1: I, one thing I have to do is caveat everything I say with everything I say may change in the future. Because I, in research for our conversation, I listened to our last two conversations yeah. from 2018 and 2020, maybe? during yeah, COVID. It was, what,
0: the first lockdown, wasn't it?
1: And everything I said was bullshit. All of the stuff I said was like, you know, I'm trying to figure out my style and I'm, I'm, I've got it this time. I know what I'm doing. Like, and then in the, in the next one, I was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to like not do movie posters and just focus on my style and all of it's bullshit. Cause the last th- that's two years I've done movie posters, like all of the time. So yeah, everything I've said, just listeners, absolute horse shit, I'll probably do the entirely the opposite of the thing I'm saying in this conversation.
0: <laughs> you I mean I I would I would yes there's a there's a grain of truth in that and I'm the same <laughs> but I think that's more reflective of the fact that we never truly know. You know, I think creativity ebbs and flows and changes all of the time. And it's and I think sometimes I you know better than I because it's your work, but I think that it's probably nothing to do with the movie posters that gave you the kind of dislike. It was probably stylistic and where you were in your life. Perhaps there was some sort of dissatisfaction in doing that work that you just associated with movie posters, whereas actually it was probably more about tapping into something stylistically that felt more attuned as to where you were. Would that be right?
1: It's all, it's, in. if I hadn't known it before, I know it now, it's always been about finding authenticity, finding something that feels the most natural and comfortable and to you. And if you can do that, then you can apply it to any project, including a movie poster that has an intellectual property attached to it. It's how you take that IP and adapt it into through your own stylistic lens and approach. And I've proven that because the last few years I've gone from doing fan art movie posters badly to doing them kind of okay, to now having a real unique approach to how I do them. And the feedback has been very well for them. I'm now struggling at the moment with just balance. Like I'm I'm leaning too heavily into one type of work and I'd like to head back into the fine art thing again and kind of refocus and just be a bit more selective about the projects that come my way so I can channel that energy into the right direction
0: and it's always a battle isn't it I think that's the thing no matter how much experience we have it's very hard to find the perfect balance of all that stuff and to a degree I think we're always going to be going against what we're doing and trying to find something a little better
1: I, yeah I don't really know how to do it I think I just have to say no to everything but I can't do that because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm making my personal work at the moment I've got I've spoken to a, a gallery who wants to put on a show at the end of next year so I have a goal and I have a mission to create personal work on paper and canvas ready for this show. And every brushstroke, I'm like, is this the right thing to be doing? I you know, is this painting okay? Like, and I'm still finding barriers. I'm still finding reasons not to do the thing that I've been dying to do for the last 10 years, which is build a body of work, personal work for a show. And, you know, the second a poster comes in, I'm like, oh, maybe, or a second, another one of this comes in, I'm like, yeah, maybe. So I don't know what to do, really. You found me at a bit of a kind of mental crossroads in terms of finding balance and, like, time in my brain, not even time physically, just clearing space in my brain so I can actually focus on making these personal ideas. But Mm. I
0: don't know. And I think the thing, thing, you know, again, the thing is always that, we have to make money to live and therefore we have to take on commissions and we end up stretched in different directions. And it's very, you know, short of some kind of windfall or some major, major job that pays well and sets you up for a few years. It's very hard to completely dedicate to something that has no immediate monetary gain.
1: Correct. And I, I mean, I don't know about you this year, but this year I have managed to find paid opportunities that lend themselves to my personal art style a lot more than film posters and IP stuff. So I might be able to do what you've just described and take on a couple of jobs a year that pay enough to then for me to paint the rest of the year. But it's hard, like you say, it's hard to rely on that. Like you'd never know if that's gonna happen every year. So yeah, I know it's difficult. I think I'm gonna just focus on making the work and just making it better, stop caring about The things i can't control like whether a job comes in or not or whether i'm contacting the right client or not and just focus on getting the work the best it can be um whether it trying to make it resonate with people who follow me and if i can do that well then i have confidence that those things will come back to me eventually
0: oh they will they will from from personal experience from observed experience always if the work sings and and it's got soul and you feel that resonance it that comes across in different you know it will come across in different ways to different people but you know there was a really interesting example when i interviewed simon and Apava from dixon baxi recently They simon found himself commenting on the microphone design that he, he found it really appealing in some way and started to wonder who'd done that and and how they felt about it, because there was just something that spoke to him in that design. And then we got into this whole thing about their client work and how that has to come across. And if all their staff are energized and feel good about the project and the work that they're making, then you never have the liberty of going and explaining to every end user why you felt that way, but it should, that should transcend and come across in some way.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I guess one of the things I'm kind of working with with the personal artwork is like, you know, it's a bit of a scary uh, avenue to go down. You're just going to make your own ideas and hope they resonate with people. And some of my messaging is still quite confusing, <laughs> you know, in the paintings. Like, I know what they mean to me, but trying to explain that to somebody else um, is very, it's quite difficult um, and get a customer energized about. The thing that i'm going through uh, yeah it, it's it's an interesting one but how are you going how's everything with the writing and how's the podcast going like yeah congratulations on the kickstarter i'm very excited about that is that
0: yeah no thank you very much and thank you for your contribution it's it's going good it's um you know that that's enough to now for me to launch that that was the plan you know i i was very cautious about how much i went for in terms of my goal and and that you know Nine grand felt lofty to me, but then, you know, there's income tax on that, and then there's the Kickstarter cut. So, but what it leaves me with is enough to print between six and eight hundred books. I need to work out exactly how many I go for, paperback, and then distribute them and package them. But then, that then I'm off and running. I've got the business model, you know, and then from there, the sales will fund the next run and so on. Whereas with a publisher, they cover all that stuff, but then at the back end, you only see ten percent royalties. So it's kind of, I wanted to try and do this with the support of the network and essentially get the pre-orders in to fund it in the hope that then I could return a better profit margin. And, you know, therefore I'm more incentivized to go and talk at universities or talk at industry events and sell some copies because, you know, you're not getting to the end of the year and going, well, there's the 300 quid check again for all that time that I put in, you know, and and it kind of knocks the incentive a little bit. I found in the traditional model, unless you sell shitloads, of course. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's even when you sell shitloads, the the publisher is still taking a a big cut, right? I think one of my favorite artists many, many years ago started his career by publishing his own fine art books. They were like sketchbooks about his process and stuff. And he started down the self-publishing route and continued. And now he's got like a million one plus followers but still publishes his own books because the profit margins, they're not needing anyone else involved. Like you build your audience around you, you can sell direct to the customer. Like that's, that's the right thing to be doing, isn't it? So yeah, I I advocate the self-publishing model for sure. I mean, I'm, I just need to make enough work to fill a book before I can do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. And you have to weigh up whether you've got the time to, and, the, and the energy and the, you know, to do all the things that it requires. Cause there's a lot to think about, you know, even now I'm kind of moving forward going, okay, well, with the first run, I'm going to attempt to send them all myself from my studio using like the, you know, post office drop and go. But quite quick, I was talking to, I don't know if you know Radim Malinich's work, brand, brand new, but he, has published his own books now for a number of years and he's doing really well with them, but he's got, you know, he's got a distributor on his side now and he's got a fulfillment company who deal with the dispatching and everything else. And he was encouraging me to look at that model because of how draining and time consuming it can become sending them all out. So there's a lot to consider. And and I guess I work it out as I go.
1: I tried packaging uh, my own posters for the lofty time of one week (laughs) (laughs) and i got so pissed off at the time it took the people emailing me because the print got damaged on the way one guy sent me a photo of my poster tube like completely crushed because a truck had rolled over it apparently i was like (laughs) through all of this i'm hiring somebody to store all of my prints package them post them deal with customer service and I found this lovely guy, Ben, who runs this company called Uniquely Geekly, based in Exeter, and he represents loads of different artists, and he does the same thing for all of them. And he charges a very small fee per, per poster, and it means that I never have to see any of that stuff ever again, and I'm very <laughs> thankful. Um, so good luck, um, but <laughs> yeah, be warned that you may have to shift some of those responsibilities in the future.
0: Yeah, I I think so. Especially if it's successful and it sells in decent numbers, then I think that's going to be an inevitability. To be honest, Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I mean, to go back to what you said, actually, there about the original art style as well. I think, I think there's an argument for the mystique of not, you know, not having everything explained. I, I myself, as a as a person who loves going to museums and galleries and seeing artwork, be it abstract or be it more literal. I love that journey of, I've tried, of, of, of interpreting that for myself. And You might get a little description or a, a, an exhibition overview, but I think that ultimately, isn't the visual interpretation, you know, its functionality and, and the joy in it?
1: It is, but I think what I mean when I say explaining, it's not necessarily explaining each piece. It's It's putting a companion piece of writing next to the image and the two of them working hand in hand with one another it's not so much this painting is about this it's more like describing the character in the painting and what's going what's going on with them if i can come up with that myself then that's great i'm not a very wordy person so it's you know it's going to be difficult but it's a good way to challenge myself in in trying to you know uh, produce a piece of text bit of writing about this painting and what i was what was going through me at the time, but through the lens of the actual character, the person in the painting. So it's almost like you're telling a story from both sides. And I think that should be enough. It's pretty much a by, you know, a little blurb in a, in a gallery for a painting. So it's not so um, difficult, I hope. Yeah. yeah, We'll see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it is interesting. And I think it's smart to be aware of, um, I find myself more and more describing it as a circle of competence. So, you know, not everyone can draw, not everyone can write. We all have different minds that might be more visual or language-based. And I think it's the more you kind of understand that about yourself, the, the better, because, you know, it, that's the reason I like to outsource the typesetting for the book. It's like, I I know that I could sit there and learn how to typeset and be a graphic designer, but I don't particularly want to because I actually really enjoy the outsourcing and the collaboration and letting the professional take care of that side of things.
1: Yeah, how do you feel about this with regards to, you know, there's all sorts of new technologies and every illustrator I see is also an animator now and they're also a social media person now. They're also a video, a YouTuber now, you know. How do you feel about all of those extra things that you either feel like you have to learn or don't have to learn, or you know, about that? Um, similar to the typesetting for your book, it's kind of like, would you yeah well what's your reaction to that kind of thing
0: i find it overwhelming if i'm honest i find i and i and i try not to go down that road of trying to be everything I've, I've certainly had my moments and i've you know recently had to put fiction on the back burner just because you know i'm a new parent and i'm trying to do a non-fiction book alongside being an illustrator and that's enough you know there's mm. a as you'll know being a full-time illustrator is more than a full-time job everything when you when you add some of its parts so You know, the fiction was just getting to a point where this thing I was supposed to be doing for pleasure that just felt like this, a bridge too far. So I'm going back to the drawing board. I'm looking for a literary agent and again, letting people take on some of that stuff because some of it can be good. You know, I I do want to do a YouTube channel as part of this creative condition model, but it's a part of the bigger vision and it serves it very well. And I think I will enjoy that. And I think it will help the podcast. So that's fine. But then when it comes to being on every social platform and doing all of the things and understanding the algorithms, my head starts to fry and I, and I just, it burns me out. And then I feel a bit disillusioned about everything because I just get tired by it all, you know, and I think it is an information heavy world these days.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I tend to, if there is a new skill like animation, for example, I tend to let it happen naturally. So if a job requires animation, great. I can then hire the individual that has the skill set in that and then work with them, direct them to the thing that I'm looking for and then learn something in the process. I don't have the drive to actually become an animator, but I love animation. I love the history of animation, you know. I, I know movies, I know how to direct things. So why don't I work in that capacity with an animator and then and we've done that. We've you know, I've done some animated projects on a couple of jobs this year, and it was it was way more fun doing it that way. So I think with all of these new skills, these extra things, maybe if 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 they come naturally, then work with somebody who's skilled at that to then, you know produce this piece of work that involves a YouTube video or an animation or whatever. But I do, I'm the same as you, I do see all of it. And I'm like, how is this artist over here being all of these things? Like, why? how, how are they not focused on just making the work? And and did it, is the society around us driving us to be these, all of these things at once? And how do you reject that? Yeah.
0: I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it's an ongoing, it's another ongoing conundrum. Um, but I always think of something that Andy Sandos said to me, who used to be the president of DNAD, a really good creative director. And he was very kind of up on technology and, and the possibilities. But his thing was that you don't have to go and learn how to code, you don't have to go and learn how to use AI, but to be ignorant of it is dangerous. And it's the mm-hmm. awareness of it in your thinking within your practice mm-hmm. that is important. So, you know, to know about Chat GPT or to know about Mid Journey is one thing, and to understand its place in the landscape is very smart. But we don't all have to go and learn how to do it. You know, they, no. that's that's that I think that's the difference. And that's something I took on board. So I try to remain aware and see what people are doing and see, you know, because then that informs your thinking, whether it's subconscious or conscious. And, um, and I think that's good, you know, because then you remain current.
1: But rejecting it altogether is
0: dangerous <laughs> well i <laughs> so mean you become
1: I, a, a dinosaur in the space
0: and you, like, you, oh, you I do think. and i'm sure the guys who rejected the apple mac and the internet when it came around and photoshop found that out the hard way you know i think that mm. and again it didn't they didn't have to go and become masters in it but to just wholly reject it things move on quite and quicker than ever today
1: yeah absolutely um, um but in terms, of yeah, trans,
0: in terms of transmedia, so I loved your, I've got the name of the Rangoli Mirrored Cosmos. That was fantastic to see as, as a real fan of your work. I think to see that, you know, a physical piece of art coming from what was quite, um, I don't know if two-dimensional two is the right word to describe your, your illustrative practice, but to see that enter a uh, 3D, you know, real world was a real thrill for me as a fan. How did that feel as an artist and, and how did it come about?
1: It felt absolutely amazing. I was so chuffed. I remember in 2018, I was like, damning my architectural background, being like, none of this is going to be helpful in any way. (laughs) And you were like, no, no, I'm sure it'll come back in a new way, you know. And it clearly did because my my background in architecture, my understanding of three dimensional things. It didn't help in a very direct way, but it made me feel at ease with being like, oh yeah, we'll just turn this thing into a 3D public art sculpture. And to some people that might be quite overwhelming. But to me, I was like, I understand buildings. I understand public art. Like I know this stuff. So yeah, let's do it. Um, it was amazing. I went to the Now Gallery uh, a few years ago and uh, for Hattie Stewart's exhibition in 2015 or 14, something like that. And I was like, I love this gallery space. Like I'd love to work with them one day. And after I spoke to you in 2020, I developed my work for a few years. And, you know, there was a mixture of fine artwork and commercial artwork and enough work for me to be like, approach them again and say, hey, I'd love to work with you. Would you like to do something together? And they suggested a Diwali celebration in the form of a public art piece. Um, the first time they would they had done that for Diwali, which is quite exciting. You know, I could be the kind of launch pad for this type of work. Um, although I want to be called back next year, to be honest, because <laughs> <laughs> let's do something else as well. Um, and I originally pitched these giant lanterns that were hanging from a big frame outside the Now Gallery. And I designed these, you know, uh, metal framed giant oversized lanterns with my illustrations etched into the panels of, of the glass of, of these lanterns and it was rejected thankfully because upon uh, in retrospect if one of those things had like fallen off <laughs> and smashed everywhere we'd be in a real pickle so I had a chance to resubmit an idea and I tried figuring out like what is a thing that is representative of Diwali that isn't a lantern that is something that is instantly recognizable amongst people from South Asia amongst people in general and for me it was a mandala flower it was a Rangoli flower and the wider context is in South Asia you know in 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 South Asian homes you you make these powder coated mandala flowers in the entrances of your home to ward off bad spirits and bring in good ones. So I was like, right, let's do that. Um, And and then I needed to figure out what my way of getting into it was. Like anybody can just produce this flower, this this powder coated flower. How do I interject my way of thinking, my way of working into this public art sculpture? And I thought to myself, my work I've developed a few more ideas about what the work means to me. And, and it's, it's really about identity. The work has always, you know, I've always struggled with who am I, where am I from? Because I grew up in South Wales. I was born in England. Uh, parents from Sri Lanka now live in London, still don't have this strong thing to call home. And so the work has always been about this juxtaposition of, Growing up in the West and having Sri Lankan heritage. And that's what the work has transitioned into and in, in how I represent it in any way. I'm always trying to include very traditional references to my Sri Lankan heritage, but from the perspective of a Western contemporary individual. So I applied that thinking to this the sculpt, this. A sculpture idea and I thought right some of the petals can be three-dimensional, modern, bright colors, bold and some of the other elements in the sculpture can be more traditional drawn mandala flowers. So I created this three-dimensional version of this mandala flower with the modern interpretation being the 3D forms and the traditional interpretation being the 2D Vinyl graphics around it. So it's a real representation of me, the way I work, and thus became a much more fulfilling project um, in how I was able to talk about it. I finally did it. <laughs> I finally did something that was like, oh, I think you know what you're doing now. Although this is me repeating myself again. <laughs> you know, I'm sure it'll change in a few years' time, but that. I did go back a little bit. I I took some meetings with agents just around the time after I spoke to you, and this was still early on in developing this this work, this new work. And one of these agents was like, I think I mentioned this before, but you know, it's it's an important one. That she was like, "What's your work about?" And I go, "I don't know. It's about you know, it's colorful, it's surreal, it's it's big, it's bold." And she's like, "No, no, no. What what's it about?" and I, was, I couldn't answer her and that's when i realized i had to i had to figure out what my work was really about like if you can say what your work is about in one to two words then you can always drive anything you do with that message and my i think i think i think my work is about identity and introspection it's like figuring out who i am and you know that kind of thing so now, whenever I do a painting, I'm always thinking about, like, this masked identity. It's why one of my main characters has a big mask on, because he hasn't revealed who he is yet, because he doesn't know, you know, what's underneath the mask. You know, I don't know. So, yeah, now I can apply that terminology and thought process to everything I do. And it, it may not mean anything to anyone else, but it makes it more fulfilling for me to work it. Mm
0: hmm. And we need these compasses, don't we? Because when you've just got the world to work with, it's too much, and it's wow. you can end up spread very thin. Um, and and you know, there's such, um, you know, I, mean, I, I loved where you were at when we last spoke, and I've still got the print front and center in our living room. And but it's come; it's so much more accomplished now, and it feels so much more alive, and the identity that runs through you know your portfolio your overarching body of work is just um, it just screams now compared
1: oh that's very kind of you to say i think it's mainly because i keep having these very introspective conversations with myself and with anybody who will listen to me <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what we just
1: do like, <laughs> tell me what this work is about i don't know you know and i i i really admire loads of artists online and i don't see any of that happening like they're all very quiet they're all like, "Here's the finished piece. Here's the next thing I've done. Here's," a... and they clearly do have those conversations, but they're just having them behind closed doors. And <laughs> I'm a bit more like, up, you know, out in the open, being like, "I don't know what anything's about. Who who knows what it's all about?" You know. So, um, yeah. But doing that public art sculpture, it was amazing. I, this this year has been the biggest year in terms of like, the scope of the work. So I've done this public art sculpture, which is on for an entire year in the Greenwich Peninsula. And then in the summer I did a collaboration with choose love and the refugee council, which was, um, doing the campaign artwork for refugee week, the 25th anniversary of refugee week, which ended up in an installation on the South bank in London and animations at Glastonbury festival. Um, and then a branded Green Man festival, so <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to like, you know, contemplate any of these things if I hadn't just like opened myself up to varying the work and like just adapting and approaching each client and kind of like what listening to what they wanted and kind of yeah, I don't know it's a lot. I've done a lot this year. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's fantastic <laughs> to see. Um, I, I, are you still working independently or are you represented at the moment?
1: I'm represented by uh, an agency called The Different Folk. Mm. And not too long after I had kind of figured things out, after we spoke, I had contacted them and funnily enough, they were saying they I had been on their radar for a year. So we we both started around the same time you know they they're a couple of years old now and my work is a couple of years old now at this point my new work and it means that the two of us are growing together and learning together and you know they've been thrown some very difficult things to do with regards to a public art project and the kind of like project management of those kind of things and I'm learning that as well so we're figuring out how to do these kind of projects together and that's I think that's the better way of doing it rather than, you know, you're both on equal footing kind of com- conversing about how to do something rather than being told or telling someone how to do something. So they're great. Um, my The three agents there are so nice. And yeah, they've got an amazing roster of people. So I highly recommend having a look at their, all of the work that they're making. And they did, um, oh my God, they, they, they represented an illustrator named Andrew who did all of the TFL posters this year. They did what did they do? They've worked with Lauren Hill this year like they're 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 amazing. They're having a great time and and I'm excited to work with them. How about yourself because you're how are you doing with the illustration work and the representation there and then the literary work as well. I know you mentioned you were looking for a literary agent but yeah
0: yeah i mean that you know what i've come to realize this year and this this came from a a conversation with a guy called peleg top who's a creative coach in los angeles had him on the show and i found him fantastic he he describes himself as a a coach for create accomplished creatives at a crossroads you know and um so he works with people who've kind of burned out or they've all they've they're done with what they were doing. They've been very successful in, and he helps them to realign and get back in tune with themselves. And he breaks creativity down into emotional creativity and intellectual creativity, intellectual creativity being the, you know, uh, the the stuff we do to solve problems in our work life. And it's not that the two can't exist together, but to understand the differences and emotional creativity being a a pure expression of self. um, That's what my fiction is. You know, my fiction is, is, That's my emotional creativity. That's where I deal with my terror over the climate crisis. That's where I deal with the wars of parenthood in a black comedy manner, you know, and that's a fantastic cathartic outlet, but then that's going to need 10 years to to marinate and to go on this whole different journey and to to be ready to be an accomplished author. So that's fine. That's on its own timeline. It's something I love to do. I need to do and will always do regardless of whether it makes me money or not illustration wise yeah things are good it's been it's been a real year of ups and downs i think there's been it's a funny market and i think that there's been some really nice big projects and then there's been some really long quiet spells and i think it's quite tumultuous out there for a lot of people um and i think there are trends at play too so i don't know where my stuff fits into that so there's going to be times when my stuff is even less for everyone than it usually is You know, um, but it's good. The relationship with Illustration X is fantastic. Um, 10 years we've been doing this now, and it's been very similar to what you just described. It's been a very, you know, we've grown together, and they've recently we we made the kind of joint decision to split my portfolio into raw and refined because there were some real strong polar opposites starting to happen, which I I knew that I could understand, but I knew that a new client, new potential client looking at that might be slightly unnerved by the fact there was this gentle ink drawing and watercolor simple artworks right next to a doc martin's boot completely plastered in paint and spray paint and hand lettering you know so we uh so we we decided to kind of brand it as talon raw and talon refined and it's conversations and decisions like that that you just described that is that whole growth together and i think it's lovely and i think that you know we know there are going to be quiet spells in there that's the nature of the industry but they've always been incredibly supportive of, of everything else that I do. So the book stuff and the writing and, the, and you know, they gave me the idea for the podcast in the first place. And that's Yeah, not,
1: yeah,
0: I remember. They they respect the fact that we're all artists and that we need to do this to grow in every area. So it's great. They've never once turned around and gone, why are you doing that? You should be marketing to illustration clients, you know. They understand that it's broader than that. So, yeah, so it's good. You know, like I say, a year of ups and downs, but but things are okay at the moment and there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon.
1: That's amazing. Have you split the portfolio up on your own website as well, or is it very much the illustration agency that's kind of representing you in these two different areas?
0: Yeah, it's predominantly on the agency that we've done that. So we've got the talent type, the hand letter in, the talent raw, talent refined, and there's also a talent live event drawing. So I've been very great. Oh, wow. And I've now got port- <laughs> portfolios on there, you know, but it's... Um... That just
1: makes good sense from a business point of view from their end, doesn't it, of like we are able to sell you easier if we are targeting very specific areas, industries, you know, scenarios, whereas you as the artist can, I feel like can put it all up on the same website and it be still a representation of you as a whole. So yeah, it's good that you have both um positions there.
0: Yeah. I think it's smart. And it's just about clarity and digestibility because you, you have to, you know, I think you have to sort of, leave ego at the door enough to to respect the position that somebody who's only just found your work is in, that they might not have the time or all the vision, to, not, not vision, that sounds um, derogatory, I don't mean it like that, but they don't, They might not have, you know, it's a busy life, they're, they're. we know that the work of an illustration agent or an illustration client is very frenzied and busy, and therefore they might not have the time that we have to, to really sit with that work and understand all of its components. So if you can present that in a visually cohesive manner, it's better for everyone.
1: Yeah, I've known that from um, doing press releases and things where you just contact the person, let them know all of the information, very clear, very direct, because they don't have the time to sift through everything that you've done to, be, to learn about you and stuff. You know, yeah, it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you mentioned it was ups and downs illustration-wise. I think it was for me too, except the fact that I specifically went to these people um, for work. And, you know, it was happenstance that they were like, actually, this would work really well for the thing we're doing this year. Great. None of the jobs I got, the big ones I got this year, I waited to come in. You know, I went after them myself and I've realized that there's swings and roundabouts to that thing because I'm on my fifth or sixth submission to the New Yorker. Rejected submission to the New York. Whereas I've had these beautiful projects come out and I've been very happy. So, yeah, approaching clients versus waiting for things to happen, it's always a bit difficult, but I don't know. I don't know if it's the right methodology or not anymore. But how have you found that with clients? Have you ever gone out and specifically said, start sparked up conversations that uh, you know this would actually and genuinely this would work with you know with what you're doing. I'd love to work with you on this. Or yes. have you always allowed things to come your way naturally?
0: No. I've always oh, the, the best results I've ever had have always been the assertive approach and and tailoring my approach. Very much so. You know, it's, I, I do this social thing and I share work and I've actually had good results this year on on LinkedIn from my kind of sharing of previous projects and using the hashtags, you know, I've, I've had some really lovely work that's come around through that, but by and large, I spend a lot of time trawling and looking at what people are doing and what agencies are doing And then going and saying, look, you know, I I, and this is the nice thing about the four different brands is I create these different PDF portfolios and then I can maybe choose one thing that I feel would be more appropriate for any given client. So in terms of sports, I tend to go in with the hand lettering. And I will, you know, say, look, I'm, I'm very passionate about the hand lettering at the minute. It's at the forefront of what I'm doing. I love your brand. I'd love to have a conversation. And and one thing that I picked up, and it was a tip from another creative coach. And it was about the kind of language of the approach and not sort of going in with, hi, I'm I'm me. Here's what I do and here's why it would work. It's more a case of what are you up to? I'd love to hear about what your role as an art director looks like and who you're working with. So I then can perhaps put myself forward for any suitable opportunities and I think it's not only respectful but it's a smart approach because I I genuinely want to hear what the art directors and the creative directors are working on and, and what their week to week looks like because then I can kind of really fine-tune that approach and I find that when you have that personability and and, and that conversation you form more of a relationship and people are far more likely to to, to work with you
1: I agree um, with you, I'm just, I think I'm having a little bit more trouble on that side because I, there's been occasions where I've gone in and be like, hey, I could do this great thing for you. Where, and then there have been more occasions where I've been like, what are you up to? And they tell me, and I'm like, oh, that doesn't really work. I, I don't think that would work for me. I don't tell them this, but in my head, I'm like, oh, that's probably not going to work for me. And then they tell me something else. I'm like, oh, that's the right thing that would work for me. How do I then approach this person to say we could work together on something? But I think I need to, yeah, do a bit more of what you're doing and, and and really be personable with people and kind of learn a bit more about what they're doing first and kind of, like, show more interest in, in you know, the other person's kind of project and, and then just let those relationships grow naturally, I think. I, it's something mm-hmm. I... I didn't learn how to do any of this stuff, you know, so oh. like...
0: Did any of us? I don't, you know, I, yeah. don't, I think in our world, you might touch upon professional practice at university, but I think that's kind of where it ends for a lot of people. And also, I would also caveat by saying that I actively enjoy and I'm quite good at that. And it's, a, again, you have to always hold the personality lens over it. I'm quite an extrovert. It's not, I wouldn't even say I'm extroverted, actually. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a people person. I enjoy social relationships. I love... That in our industry, people are tend to be doing work that at least in some degree is an extension of self and personality. And therefore those personable relationships are more likely to happen. And I enjoy it. So it's kind of it's easy for me to do that, I feel. Yeah. Whereas actually if you're quite introverted and it's better for you to just create a lovely website and send people there, then that I'm sure, you know, many people have um contrasting stories to my own experience as as is inevitable so it's you always have to be sympathetic to who you are and what feels good as well
1: yeah yeah that's very true i i still don't really know what my personality trait is so
0: you know there's um it has got and i tell this story quite a lot so i apologize to my listeners if it's a repeat but there's as part of this book there's a chapter about the personality and you know, learning about yourself. And I had a guest on the show called Sarah Coggin, who is an illustrator slash language teacher. And she travels all around teaching English as a foreign language. And she uses a very emotive approach by encouraging people to tap into their own passions and nuances as part of the language learning experience. Um, You know, the whole idea of fun as an accelerator of learning. And she used this analogy of a mixing desk and that there's no limits to, as to how many different personality traits or tendencies can be can be assigned to a dial and and then trying combinations of them. So turning one thing up to nine and turning another thing down to one and, and and how does that work and where does it fit within my creativity? And I I use Top Trumps. I always find that quite a useful tool, you know, Top Trumps games. And it was a case of, you know, so I I kind of in the book I've used about six different traits and I and I've been very honest about myself. So I'm very clumsy and haphazard and and I it's I hate that around the house. Uh, and I would have assigned myself as maybe a one or a two when it comes to, you know, I don't know, nimbleness or dexterity, whatever <laughs> the you want to frame it. But actually, that's the genesis of my art style. That that raw edge is what informs my my language as a writer and my visual style. So therefore, maybe it becomes a really good thing and maybe it's a nine or a ten. So you have to kind of look at each trait in in through both lenses and um and it, i found it just a really fun thing to do to start pulling all these different traits about myself and give them a score but then to consider the flip side of that and look at it and don't get me wrong there are some things like practicality i'm awful i, I, you know, <laughs> I can't put up a shelf without youtube it's kind of that's and I'm, a, I'm at peace with that and that goes back to what we were saying about bringing in the professionals to do what you lack and- hey at least
1: you put up the shelf using youtube i like will hire somebody and throw money at the problem because I'm so inept at doing that.
0: So preferably you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> learning
1: more about yourself is key. <laughs> I agree.
0: But it's good. And I think that, and I think that's also interesting in terms of what you said about relationships with representatives. If you can build that relationship and they understand how you work as a person, not just as a visual artist, then they're probably going to factor that into the way they approach clients and try to get you work.
1: I would hope so. I would hope so. You just kind of be open and honest with the with the representative and kind of, yeah, be talk, talking about your goals and what you're excited about. I just had a client, uh, sorry, a call with my agent this morning about a job, and I asked the questions of, like, is this the right move for me, to going into this field or that, that was the part of this specific project? And they very openly and honestly kind of told me you know, the reasons why, for and against, and, and we had a, a nice healthy discussion. It's not something I was able to have as a younger illustrator, because you're just like, you're just not even thinking about that. You know, you're just getting on with your with your work. Um, yeah. What's your plans for the future for this? Do you, do you have you, <laughs> as someone who constantly is like, yeah, I'm focusing on this. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna probably just focus on this, and then that changing over the next year. I don't like asking this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have any thoughts about what you're going to be doing in the next few months at least?
0: Yes. Do you know what I do? I For the first time in a while, I feel like I have some real direction, and that, that's because of the book coming to a head. So all this these years of interviewing and doing the podcast and the stuff that led up to that, which was self-initiated charity campaigns where we didn't have any budget for an interviewer, and therefore I had to do it, and that's how I stumbled across the fact that I could do it and enjoyed it it's all it's been 10 years of that process and it's come to a head now with this book. And I hope that this book will be the gateway to me getting out there and finding a better balance between my studio practice and what I feel is lacking at the moment, which is more people interaction. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I miss, I miss having a shared art studio. Like I had it in Manchester and I had it in London and I loved that energy of being surrounded by people who were just doing something they cared about too. And, um, I essentially I want to use this book to keep building this model so that I can enhance the social and cultural standing of creativity because I just feel like it's tragic that it's so undervalued in our society and people don't understand that it's different from just being an artist. They can, you know, we are all creative as human beings. So I want to do that and get out there and do talks and workshops and actively help people to understand and embrace their creativity. And then I want to recoil and be alone in my studio and do lovely illustrations. <laughs> that's the balance I want to strike and that's what I want to do. You know, there are, that's kind of my twin focus now moving forward. And within that, there are so many things to think about. So it still feels mind boggling, but I feel like there's direction.
1: Well, it sounds like you do have good direction as to what you're doing. I am going to spend, uh, hopefully spend the next few months making personal paintings. I've done two (laughs) in addition to the other two i i did last year (laughs) but now i'm gonna have to wrap that up and try and make as many as i i you know i spoke to a a new contemporary art uh client of mine who i'd worked with on uh, private commission film posters and a few new contemporary art pieces as well and i was like what's the advice? Like, you know, uh, when do we start talking to Juxtapose Magazine and High Fructose Magazine? And he was like, why don't we talk again at painting number 50? Why don't we do that? <laughs> and I was like, now I know what you mean, you know, like, I need to be told that every now and again, just like, just get on with it, you know, to start the work and just get on with it and then relax into this process of making work after work and and then you'll be able to kind of like chat more, coherently about what this work is saying about you and what you're saying about it. So my focus is to just get on with these paintings. That's the thing I'm going to try and do next. Mm-hmm. If you see, if you start to see like 10 movie posters come out of me, then, you know, I've like abandoned that. <laughs> mentally. <laughs> um, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, I find it, I find it amazing that, you know, that you can do your style, both digitally and these original beautiful paintings and 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 it and it has the same energy the same um accomplished form i think it's amazing
1: oh thank you very much i tried to like you know i said i mentioned in previous podcast mobius is like one of my you know heroes in the illustration art scene he james jean is another one they're artists that are able to like go from commercially IP-driven digital work to hand-painted work, handmade work, very comfortably, and they don't see one as different to the other. Mm-hmm. And I think the important thing is to... I've, I'm a real broken record on this now, but I've i have reached a, a position where I'm able to give advice to younger illustrators because now I'm old. But <laughs> I say... Uh, the one piece of advice I give is like is the is the same advice that this new contemporary art client told me, which is like, see you at painting fifty. But essentially, it's focus on making your own unique work that's about you and your experience, and develop a new a new on oh, no, a new just to develop a unique way of making this work that is that feels good to you and then you can apply that to every different industry including movie posters including digital including analog you can transition between the two because the way you make marks is the thing that's unique to you it's and it it's not necessarily the medium that you're working in like you know i do have to say the digital work is slightly more complicated than the analog work at the moment but that's purely from the tools that i'm using i'm able to like edit things quicker and I'm able to redraw things quicker but there's beauty and in, 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 you know small differences in analog and digital and let those things those inconsistencies of the analog work be the thing that's that's the reason you do it by paint you know versus digital um, but thank you very much I'm going to try I'm going to try and um, keep just doing the same thing I'm doing basically
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think you 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 are that advice is golden as well because you it's what I'm trying to do with the fiction and it's what I did at the start of my illustration career was take an approach of building a portfolio that sang to me first and foremost and then take that out to market and then let people interpret it in their own way and commission it for various reasons and then I'll learn from them and that's what happened whereas I think if you it's not going to work for everyone though, there'll be some people who can make it work. But if you go straight to market and you're taken under, let's say on a, on by a studio before you have found your own voice and you understand that invariably you're going to be molded by someone else's vision. And therefore you have to be very careful about not losing that emotional creativity altogether. Um, and that's where, you know, I remember going to the illustration awards a couple of years ago, shame on me. I forgot the name of the artist who cleaned up that year. But it was a lesson for me because I would I'd definitely compromised too much in that regard at that time. And the artist that won, it was work like your own that just had something wonderful and unique going on. And it was so accomplished and strong that clients could buy into it and loved it and trusted that it would work, you know. And, and the vision of those clients just made for some cracking commissions that deservedly won the awards that year. Uh, but you have to build it first, don't you?
1: if you build it they will come yeah that is the (laughs) (laughs) that is the lifelong lesson it's so it's difficult because there are so many distractions like there's the distraction of like this very attractive work thing that's coming your way and if you don't stay on top of it from your your perspective you will lose it it's basically what you've just been saying you will lose yourself in it and then the work will will diverge and then you'll produce a good piece of work, but ultimately you won't be proud to put it in your folio because then it's not this, you know, it's not part of who you are. And it, maybe this method loses me a lot of money, but to be honest, <laughs> it doesn't bother me as much. You know, when you're doing a piece of work that feels very unique and authentic, it doesn't matter. You know, it just like, it then becomes part of your portfolio. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And you get those- Very really on- exciting. You get unexpected opportunities, don't you? And that's the, you know, the lovely thing about um, the perspective of other people and commissioners and clients. And, you know, I, I never imagined that I'd be sending out short stories to film producers and film studios. You know, I, I, there's been no bites there yet, but I've had I've had some very valuable conversations with people about pilots and things like that. So, you know, I, I'm very responsive to what comes up in my life and how I feel, and 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 not afraid to follow those threads. Sometimes. Sure
1: that's so exciting i mean that kind of stuff is also very tangible now isn't it like i've seen i didn't go and see the movie because i'm still not fully uh comfortable with watching horror movies you know immediately but the guys who made talk to me this horror movie from a24 this year they started out as youtubers making crazy like jackass style videos and then You know, it's something that they were doing themselves that then became a thing, like, you know, now they're working on movies and stuff. They're talking about Mad Max with George Miller, you know, that kind of thing. It's more tangible to be a person doing your own thing and putting it out online and having that thing come back to you in a very interesting way. So I'm so excited to see what TV show you produce, what movie you end up (laughs) writing for, you know, yeah, it's a bit naive for me to have these big ambitions and to be excited because some people are very scared about having these kind of naive ambitions because they don't, you know, they're scared of the failure. But I, I'm just like, I just get quite excited thinking about those kind of things. And if it's if it's a fool's errand, then it's it, it is. But you know, yeah, it, it's what drives me to kind of be to get excited about this stuff.
0: But what's, to, you know, what's to lose when, you, you know, just by thinking about it, you you might create the possibility because suddenly it's this thing then that's an idea that's born in your mind. So why not take a few steps towards it and find out, you know, I think, uh, you know, that fear of failure does hold back and uh, and it takes some life experience to overcome that, admittedly. But, you know, I think I think um, I had confidence on it, described to me recently on a show as as the brain's ability to predict a positive outcome. And it's probably the best description of confidence that I've heard because I think there's a misconception about that it's bravado and it's loud, you know. And I think that when you've had a few instances of unexpected projects, you know, so whether it be in your case, perhaps your your Diwali um sculptures, you know, that, or even your recent picture house stuff, which is fantastic, by the way, you start to stop worrying a little bit about what might be and actually get excited about you know about finding out
1: I somewhat agree with you but at the same time I suffer from it Um, even right now going into making paintings I'm very scared about what the outcome might be financially Mm. commercially whether I'm able to sell them how do you reproduce them as prints, you know, how do you be this artist person that actually does this on a regular basis? Like, there's still desire and fear is basically the way we live. <laughs> yeah. Um, quoted from The Matrix Resurrections, which is the second best Matrix movie, in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah? Not seen it yet. Uh, they're all good. They're all great. I don't know. I think watch it, but don't get too sad when you do see see it (laughs) um yeah i don't know i'm scared as well the thing is it's important to be uh, worried about how this stuff might happen but at the same time it's kind of like once as you get more older and more you know comfortable in the working methods that you do you're i'm also like at the back deep down I'm, i'm kind of like i'm sure this will work out you know so it's it's more to do with the passion and interest you have in the thing you're doing, and if you you put all of that in to the thing you're doing, then at least you can tell yourself like I did the best I could with this thing, and something will come of it. I'm sure.
0: That's the yeah. thing. I think you can. You know, you can only ever strive for the the, the best that you can do at, at this moment in time, and you will always look back and probably think that you can do better in the, in the future. But that we're not there yet. So, you know, that's it. And I think I think you're right. I think fear and desire. is a great way to put it. Um, it, it, it's the same, you know. It, we get very good at projecting this um, very confident, accomplished version of ourselves online, but. You know, it's the same thing. The truth is I'm, you know, I was quite nervous yesterday about this idea of, you know, shit, you know, what does fulfillment mean? How do I get someone to dispatch my book? What if I can't handle the workload? And after all of this time, what if I'm, what if this is folly and what if I should just be being an illustrator and, you know, what if I can't pay the mortgage? It's like, (laughs) (laughs) all of that stuff is always a whirlwind and it's always going on. Um, Yeah. I I guess we just get better at combating it to a degree and managing it.
1: I hope so. I hope so. I mean, if I present any kind of confidence, I'll let you know right now, I am a complete mess. Mentally, I'm a complete mess. Like I need severe mental health help. Like, you know, I have suffered from it for many years and it's reached a point recently where I'm really struggling. I'm still Mm -hmm. putting the, the, the issues into the work. So I'm then like talking about them more openly, which is very helpful, but yeah if there's any guys of like hey you know you're doing really well that may be true but you know there's still other issues there's always other issues brewing my favorite film of last year was everything everywhere all at once and what did kihi kwan's character say be kind because you don't know what's going on in people's minds like it's always really good to just be kind because you never know what's going on with people and yeah, whatever anyone is presenting, they might also be going through something very serious or very, you know, traumatizing or difficult. And it's very important to be aware that every social media is fake, it's all bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the tool we're using to present ourselves for our work or for our lives. And yeah, do you remember what it was like before Instagram?
0: <laughs> yeah. I do, yeah, and I, and I do, and I, and I, you know, in a lot of ways, I preferred it. I'll be honest. I think yeah. my formative days, in you know, was that's around two thousand seven when I was kind of building my maiden portfolio, and you know, in a freezing cold studio in Preston, and MySpace was just about a thing at the time. Maybe, no, maybe Facebook. Maybe people had just about got on Facebook, but I didn't. I took. I'm always dinosaur with this stuff. It takes me a while to embrace anything like that, and and therefore, no, it was very simple. It was email. It was email. It was a website and it was doing the work and it was lovely it wasn't you know it didn't feel anywhere near as chaotic mentally that's for sure
1: i guess the lesson is to kind of try and get back to that it clear your mind of like all of that other stuff yeah try and limit yourself i should probably delete all these apps off my phone but
0: mm. I But know. right though about the kindness thing you know but, and, it, and it's the same for you know, people with opposing views and all that stuff. And, and then don't get me wrong as if there's, a, there's a, a limit to that, but you, people are, are, you know, it's a tough time out there and people are going through stuff and you, and it is a very valuable life skill. So just, you know, I remember a friend saying to me, be lovely, be lovely, love, be lovely to everyone all of the time, you know, and why not? And don't get me wrong. We have to deal with shit and people, you know, overstepping, but but if you try and adopt that approach to life, I think you'd be a happier person and, and and you can turn people around, you know, you can include people in conversations and start to help people because often those kind of people who lash out are very troubled individuals.
1: Yeah, part of maturing as as a person is to, like, risk, you know, have something like that happen to you, dealing with a very difficult situation, and maybe a very horrible or rude person, and then treating that person with empathy rather than uh, aggression. You know, it's kind of like, what is going on with you? How can how can I help kind of thing? It's very difficult to do. I don't think I'm there yet, but like,
0: yeah. you know. It is, so it well, is very I- difficult. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, you know, I, I, I try not to go on Twitter too much these days or X or whatever it is now. It's just for that reason, it's just, you know, you get quickly – sidetracked by something and something silly or heavy and you just think oh is this healthy for me is it worth it you know and
1: yeah exactly
0: and i think that's why oh, I, I think that's why i become quite the linkedin man i think it is free it's free from that say what you want about the corporate side of it but it's i <laughs> mean it's, it's better than the political stuff you know
1: <laughs> i just started reusing it again i was off for a couple of years maybe a year and then i was like oh crap i should probably get back in this because it's a fun way it's a bit more of a direct way to speak to people isn't it rather yeah. than like twitter or instagram where you're just saying something and then like letting people respond like at least you can have more of a conversation on linkedin yeah i don't know yeah
0: yeah and i find that to a degree our industry is a bit more free of the kind of corporate stuff as well you know it's uh people like i said about the extension of self people seem to be on there because they're passionate about what they're doing and they want to connect with good people. So if you curate a network and you, you know, approach people for the right reasons, personality-led, then I think it's a really fruitful place to be at the moment.
1: I think so. I think so.
0: Yeah. So what's next? What's coming up? Anything anything exciting you can tell us about?
1: The next thing I'm doing after this call is going to see Maestro. Uh, (laughs) It's Bradley Cooper's second directorial feature where he's playing Leonard Bernstein, Leo Bernstein, Carrie Mulligan is his wife. I've This is the third movie I've seen at the cinema this week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fourth movie I've seen this week. I saw one on Netflix at home. Um, I'm taking time off. I'm just watching movies in the daytime. Um, next, it's just, what if I, I did say yes to a couple of film poster projects. Um, I'm probably gonna do Dune part two. Uh, because I did the first one and I want to see that, you know, set of films completed. I think he's going to do a third as well, but I have a really cool idea to kind of, you know, work with my first June poster. So I'm excited about that. I did a Barbie poster for uh, Warner Brothers. It's coming out soon with a company called Vinyl Me Please, do vinyl records and stuff. So, and then just prepping for this show, hopefully, um, yeah, making paintings—that's the plan. That's the plan. Taking lots of time off, taking as much time to just live my life as possible because I think that's more important.
0: You're absolutely—you know—you're absolutely right. And I've—I've been a bit kinder to myself in that regard recently. You know, just lunch breaks, watch a bit of something, and if I feel tired in the afternoon, take some time off. You know, obviously deadlines withstanding, uh, not withstanding, and everything else. But I think we live these thousand miles an hour lives, and it's not healthy. You know, we're not we're we're Human beings are not set up for that, you know?
1: Yeah. If you had spoken to me a month ago before I went on my holiday to Mexico, I'd probably be like, I'm doing this next, and then I'm doing this, and I'm nonstop. And then I went to Mexico and realized, like, life is way more important than work and, like, you know, just enjoying yourself with very limited time on this planet. Just get on with living a life rather than, like, yeah. focusing on, what you need to do in a hundred years, none of the things we've done will matter. <laughs> yeah, I tell myself that every day now, and I'm like, oh yeah, like what the fuck am I doing? Like I don't need to do any of this shit. Just enjoy yourself. Just get on yeah. with the work that you want to get on with. But not, don't let that be the be all and end all. The thing I love doing the most is go to the movies. So that's why I've done it three times this week.
0: <laughs> really, yeah. Well, on that note, how did it feel to see the uh, the picture house work come to fruition?
1: Oh, my goodness. Picture House have been like, I've been a fan of Picture House for a very long time. Like I've lived, I lived in Tooting. I went to Clapham Picture House all the time. And then I moved to Southeast London and Greenwich Picture House is near me. I go to Central the most, to a point where the staff members are like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, they see me (laughs) every day and they're like, good to see you again. And from that relationship or from that uh, fandom of going to the cinema, I got to know Sam Clements, who's the marketing manager at Picture House. And Sam was like, oh, I really love that Empire Magazine cover you did. Um, And I was like, oh, thank you so much. Like, I'd love an opportunity to work with you. And Sam and I have become close friends. We meet every now and again. We talk about movies. It's really fun. And it's friendship first, you know? It's that thing we were talking about before. It's like, we share a passion for this. And then if something happens from a work perspective, that's great. But at the same time, I'm still gonna speak to you every week about movies, you know? Um, so what, when it, there was an opportunity and and Sam was like, come in, meet our managing director, meet the team, you know, and then I was like, right, I would love to work with you on something. And this was a year and a half ago. and And that's when eventually they were like, we've got an opening at Chester. We'd love for you to design a mural that's going to be at the entryway of this Chester Picture House. They design, you know, they're designing or they designed the cinema around the director of Wes Anderson. So everything's like beautiful, pink, symmetrical, like you know, all sorts of like Wes's palette from Grand Budapest. Very beautiful and ornate, and they were like, "Can you design a mural in the entrance hall?" And I loved it because it was like me getting to work with a movie organization, but not on a movie poster. So I was able to like really blend those two worlds of like working for a film company, but doing my own thing. And I did some research. Um, I didn't go to Chester beforehand, but I did enough research to understand what I wanted to get out of the mural. Um, Chester is very well known for these Rose buildings, these Tudor Buildings with colonnades in them. Um, you know, the black and white Tudor buildings and lots of colonnades and cobbled streets is a very old city. And the other thing they're very well known for is midsummer and midwinter parade festivals. They do them constantly, they do parades for everything. People dressed up in all kinds of folklorish um, outfits and yeah, all of that stuff. So I just combined the two and I, I designed a piece called Parade and I had a plethora of my own characters in all sorts of different outfits and funky, crazy costumes and things. I had giants coming out of the, through breaking the frame into the thing. And I did it. And then they were like, great, great. Can you install this during this week? And that was the week I was going to Mexico. So I was like, no, I'm going to hire a mural team. (laughs) Molly Mural is, is an amazing artist in her own right, but she helped me out. And with her and her team, they recreated my illustration in mural form. And um, yeah, it was beautiful. We had an opening. Oh my God. So she finished it. Her and her team finished it while I was in Mexico. And then they were like, we're going to have an opening party. It's on this date. And it was the day I was flying back from my holiday. So I flew back in the morning, landed at 9am came home, showered, changed, and then went straight to Chester for an opening party where I had to give a speech to a cinema filled with people. <laughs> um, I got there and I was like, do you mind if I be interviewed instead of giving a speech? Because I'm really jet-lagged on it. Everything I say will be gobbledygook. So they interviewed me and it was such a beautiful evening. Like the people of Chester were so passionate and excited about having a cinema, like a picture house in their area. They were like really asking for it so it's so nice that they got one and the general manager gave a beautiful like tear-jerking speech the town crier was there like ringing wow. his bells it, it was amazing it was it's when you it's, again working with people who genuinely want the thing that you're after that you're looking that you're doing and really feel passionate and excited about it so one of the most fulfilling projects i've done this year it's amazing picture House is such a big organization so they have their own entertainment a distribution company so I'm kind of chatting to them and seeing if we can work on some film posters anything basically I love working with picture house um,
0: yeah and that was a joy knowing you were a big film buff that was a joy to see and um yeah and I, I used to you know I was a member in London when I lived in London and we used to love going to the picture house Greenwich was our main one and um, it's, it's a wonderful wonderful company and um I'm, I'm delighted they've just opened an everyman down the road from us in Salisbury so
1: oh good stuff I you know, at Everyman, they like they give, bring you food to your cinema seat, yeah.
0: and it's good food, <laughs> good food as well. You know, it's uh... it's delicious. It's delicious.
1: I saw the Green Knight at the Everyman in Clapham a few years ago and had a like hot pizza delivered to my seat. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what have you seen recently? I I know we've been. Going on for a bit. I apologise to ramble. No, it's all
0: right. It's all right. We're nearly there. Now it's um. I do you know? I've uh, shamefully I haven't been for a little while. But I saw Oppenheimer and Barbie in the same week down at the Everyman. And um. And do you know the most recent thing I've seen was uh, Paw Patrol: The Mighty Movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which was wonderful, yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah. I just Fair I, sp- I, sp- I spent more time watching my kids' faces than than the film. You know, they were just awestruck. It was their first cinema visit, so that was. How uh, old are your kids now? Uh, three and a half. Three and a half. Okay, so, so that was no
1: nice. screenings of Nightmare on Elm Street just yet.
0: <laughs> no, I mean I've just got my little lad, uh, Frankie. He's a big superhero, not. I've just got him onto the uh, the the nineties animated Batman. And um, Ooh. and that's quite dark, you know. I forget how dark it was in, in parts, and you know. But he's good with it. He, he liked his Batman. So, and then Martha will come down and moan, and he has to switch it over. But it's uh, it's lovely. Yeah, it's it's really nice. Oh, that's good.
1: <laughs> that's good. So, okay, a lot of kids' movies you've been watching: Barbie and Oppenheimer. That was an interesting day for me. <laughs> I saw yeah. them in the same day, with a toilet break in between. It was very intense. <laughs> um yeah a very cinema or just movies in general at the moment it's a very interesting time isn't it like superhero movies declining in their popularity more original movies and like okay fine barbie is not really an original but it's an original script in a way. it's an original <laughs> approach to barbie <laughs> um what have i seen that's oh i'm a sicko my three movies i've seen that i love this year were Dream scenario with Nicolas Cage, Infinity Pool, a Brandon Cronenberg um, movie, and Bo is Afraid, the Ariasta movie starring Wacky Phoenix, where he just goes on a three-hour anxiety uh, panic.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm not seen that. So interesting. That's a
1: triple bill that you should do um, on a day off, maybe on a Sunday. Just relax and get into those three movies. Your mind will not be the same after watching those three movies. <laughs> I'll take the <a laughs> tip.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I think we've just about covered everything. I think um, it's been great.
1: Thank you very much. It's been amazing to be on the podcast again. I really like having these conversations every few years because... Yeah,
0: we should keep it going. It'd be a good We've art. been
1: able to track what is going on with our lives and how we're doing.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah hopefully we'll- we
1: don't find ourselves chatting in a few years and both of us being like it's all over i don't know yeah.
0: what I've done. <laughs> we'll do the next we'll do the next one in person i'm i'm uh you know i'm getting up to london a little more often now which is nice so um i'll give you a shout and uh, either either good. either way we'll catch up but um but yeah definitely next time we do this one we'll we'll do it in person and be good amazing Thanks very much, Ben. Lovely. Cheers, Sham. Good to catch up, mate. Big, big thank you to Merugaya for returning to the show for a third time. It's always a pleasure to chat with Sham, and I don't have any old guests back on repeat because I want to keep things fresh and new for you on this show, but there are some guests that I like to check back in with, and I think that their journey is very valuable. I think there's something to be said about that progression or regression or just the trajectory of a person's creativity you know i think it's a good thing to cover Uh, so i hope you enjoyed that big thank you to the founding sponsor of the show illustration x see their global range of illustrators and animators now illustrationx.com thank you for listening guys we've got one more episode before christmas coming up next week if you do get a chance please subscribe and leave me a review or at least a rating on the channels that you listen to that is a major major help Creative Condition book is in the proofreading and typesetting stages. It's still on course for a March publication. And for all you Kickstarter backers, it's going to be in your hands at the end of February. Um, check out the lineup for Off Festival 2024. I'm there. I am interviewing Stefan Sagmeister in the open room on the Friday night of April the 5th. Very excited about that one. Um, go back and listen to episode 199 of my previous conversation with Stefan. But for now, that is enough rattling on. Have a great week, guys. Take care.